Coming at you from the frozen tundra that is East Central Alberta, Canada, streaming live on YouTube, Facebook, Float, Odyssey, Telegram, Twitch, TikTok, and the Prepper Broadcast Network. Welcome back to the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. I am Toolman Tim, and today is November 3rd, 2022, and this is episode 196 of the Workshop Podcast. Today is going to be a pre-recorded episode that I did last evening. We'll talk about that in a minute, but real quick, let's get the announcements out of the way. Number one, Patch of the Month Club. The This month's patches should be landing any day, so they will be going out soon. So if you'd like to get in on this month's new patch that I will not unveil until somebody shows it on social media, run by patchofthemonth.co. Go by there. It's 10 bucks a month, $100 a year. You can sign up with crypto. You can send me silver. Or you can uh, sign up with PayPal and support the workshop, get a cool product, and also get put on a super secret email list about first arrival of products, discounts, that sort of thing. Number two, this one's really exciting. I could now officially announce my first podcast sponsor. My brother from another mother, Joel Riles from Fortress Canine. We've had this in the works for a while. He just got me his 30-second ad spot. I am excited. So once a week, haven't decided which day yet, you guys will hear from Joel about why you should check out his podcast the for, for, from Fortress Canine, which I am so excited. It's the Protection Dog Podcast. Joel is a great guy, salt of the earth, who has rebuilt his life from scratch in just a few years, doing better than he ever did. So give Joel some love and look out for his ad coming up next week. And finally, guys, this one's kind of a sad announcement, but I'm not going to be, it's bittersweet, I'm not going to be attending the TSP Fall Workshop after all this year, and I was absolutely looking forward to it. It was one of them bittersweet things because I had to cancel because I just picked up a metric shit ton of new snow clients that basically doubled my monthly income. I couldn't turn it down, but I had to be here. So if anybody was out there looking forward to chatting or hanging out at the workshop, I apologize. I will give you a rain check. I'm going to take a rain check because I got to be there at some point. But we will. I will make it up to you. We will all connect at some point, and I, <laughs> I apologize, guys. Finally, today's tool. If you didn't know these things existed, you need to check them out. If you guys know, I've been uh, collecting up some Harbor Freight Bower cordless tools. And of course, I can't just go to my local Harbor Freight here in Canada and pick up more batteries because, well, we don't have any. So I picked up the Bower to DeWalt adapter. What it does is it slides onto the bottom of a Bower tool and it allows you to put a DeWalt battery to power them. And it works great. If you didn't know those existed, pick one up. They're like 25 bucks on Amazon right around. Links in the description below. Okay, so today's episode, which was actually last evening's episode, was 100% from the power of community. The first time I had John Willis on my show, he at the end, he said, Tim, you need to meet my buddy Ed. And I said, well, who's Ed? And he said, Ed from Iridium Solutions. He's a fellow Canuck. You guys need to make contacts. John is so good like that. So I reached out to Ed, and we finally got him on the show. Ed is a salt of the earth. He knows everything. He knows stuff about nuclear, biological. He, he knows metalsmithing. He knows first aid, preparedness, 
tactical, all of that. So anyway, once I mentioned to a couple of people, oh, Ed's coming on. Well, then Chuck Peoples mentions, uh, oh, man, you are going to love his interview. And then the guys from Tactical Response are like, oh, yeah, we know Ed. <laughs> so Ed comes highly recommended. This conversation went all over the place. We had a great time just getting to know each other. He will definitely be back on the show. And I'm working really hard to try to maybe get him to come here to my event at some point. But anyway, enough for me. Check out the great conversation I had with Ed from Iridium Solutions now. I got a pretty cool guest tonight, guys. It is Ed, a fellow Canuck from the Iridium Group. How are you, bud? I'm doing well. Good evening. Good evening. So where in Canuckistan are you? Northern British Columbia. How's it? Prince George. So if you look, if you look where you're at to the west and you get in a vehicle and just start driving west for about eight hours, you'd run into where I'm at. If come through Edson and um, mm -hmm. oh, shoot, mm -hmm. what's the next uh, national park up there? Uh, Jasper. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Ah. By the time by the time you hit Edmonton. Uh, and you're on Highway 16, you have about three left turns to go to get to my house by the time you get to Prince George. It's just, it's just straight. I've lived in Alberta. It'll be nine years next in January, and I have yet to be to BC. It's the craziest mm. thing. I've got, I was at uh, Lake Louise twice <laughs> and never quite made it. Yep. Yep. And I mean, I've, I've been here all my life and I love it here. I've been around the world and have a hard time comparing Chuck Peoples. Good evening, yeah, yeah. sir. Uh, I, had to bring I, have him hard, up. I have a hard time comparing the other parts of the world that I've seen to uh, like to not find something that I can also find in BC. Um, so I like I love it here. I like going other places for a little while, but I always, you know, I always come back here. I never even I've never thought about relocating somewhere else just because it was nicer. <laughs> I like how you uh, qualified that just because it's nicer. Yes, there's other there's other reasons and there's there's other very appropriate reasons. But yes. um, beauty of the scenery, low population density where I'm at, um, mountains, uh, forests, you know, moose are everywhere. Uh, I love it. It's it's phenomenal up here. Do you get much snow? Yes, although yeah. like you have snow right now, we have none. Oh yeah, we got a foot of snow today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm I'm originally from uh, Nova Scotia, yep. so you'll catch that when I talk. You know when I say out yep. in a boat. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we, you know, it it's got to the point out there now where, boy, they rarely get snow before Christmas, and it doesn't last. You know. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I well for the guys, I gotta. We'll slide back a little bit, but if for anybody who doesn't know who Ed is, he comes highly, highly recommended from many friends of the workshop. <laughs> John, John Willis from SOE is the first one who turned me on to you. He said, Tim, Ed is a fellow Canadian and you need to know him. And I had seen yeah. Iridium on Instagram. I was like, hmm, yeah, okay. And then I'm at SRF. And of course I got to know Chuck real well in person, Chuck people's mm -hmm. right there. And he's like, oh, I know Ed, you need to know Ed. <laughs> Yep. And then I'm at tactical response and they're like, Oh, a Canadian. Oh, do you know, Ed? <laughs> uh, apparently I need to get to know Ed. <laughs> Funny. I have to go to the States to hear all about us Canadians, you know, the very small number, you know, yeah. I don't like, I don't know if you drew a Canadian flag on the team room, if you added any, but all the other ones were drawn on there by me in, oh. by, in the bunks. So if you, if you did that thing where you sign on the bunk and you put a little Canadian flag, that'd have been cool. I don't know. No, I I didn't stay in the in the uh, family room this time, but I'm going to next time. Just next time, it's worth doing. 
I, you know what? I was so for those who don't know, we're talking about tactical response and what a fucking incredible, incredible experience that place is and get to know them really well. And I'm definitely going to stay in the team room next time because just, yeah, definitely. Ooh. So is that, so why don't you tell us a little bit about you and then we can jump all around. Who is Ed? Where'd you come from? Yeah. Born the son of a goldsmith. So my dad, uh, makes custom jewelry and, uh, that was my first trade. Um, by the time I was seven, I was uh, melting down gold, rolling it out, making bales around nuggets, and, uh, and, and my father was selling them the showcase. And so I learned very early on how to work with metals, and, was, and, and not silver, basically just gold. We, we worked with gold, uh, palladium, and platinum. Um, he's a very, very down-to-earth man who works in very high-end materials and does like amazing work, and, and still to this day. And so I started there and that, I mean, that took me all, almost all the way to adult, adulthood on and off, right? Um, my, my wife, the jewelry that she has um, is, is the jewelry that I made for or that my father made for. That's, you know, that's how that, how that went. After that, I got into the oil and gas industry, uh, specifically uh, radiography. And uh, in and of itself, it's, it's, a, it's a technician based field. But I had had some uh, background from when I, from when I worked in jewelry and, and you know transported uh, very expensive parcels around. Uh, I had met some people. I'd learned about uh, personal protection, security stuff like that. Just considerations when you're transporting thousands and thousands of dollars around, just driving or walking around with it. And that traveled with me to um, to radiation safety world. And I got into I got into the nuclear side of it shortly after uh uh the 9-11 attacks okay okay and uh and so you can imagine that uh security terrorism uh the possibility of dirty bombs was on everyone's mind and i was i was roaming around the countryside uh with radioactive isotopes all the time in the middle of nowhere okay sometimes by myself and sometimes with like one or two other people and uh that prompted me to learn about uh security as it pertained to um, nuclear threats, yeah. uh, personal threats, uh, terrorists, and stuff like that, and uh, that's that's been uh, a really like a long uh, sort of convoluted journey, where I've I've met lots of people. I've had the opportunity to be in a bunch of different places and uh, meet lots of people that the public doesn't doesn't get to meet and and learn from them and. As that evolves, you know, forward in time, my the, like the path, the the sort of training path, the path to preparedness, it doesn't end. There's never like, hey, we're good. I'm done. I can just sort of sleep on my laurels. It's it's continuous, and there's and and I mean, there's always more to learn. Like the uh, the Dunning Kruger effect, right? You know, you're you you learn a little bit, you think you're an expert, and then you learn a <laughs> lot more, and you're like. Oh shit! I, there's a lot more to learn, and then you become, you know, some level of expert or mastery of a thing. You're like, yeah. The only thing I can tell you is it depends. That's the only answer. To just about everything, and I have way more to learn. So it's like that with me for everything. And so it's sort of morphed into I've uh, I've done uh, training and consultation in uh, security preparedness, uh, nuclear security and preparedness, radiation protection. Uh, I've tactical stuff and, uh, and then, you know, I've recently moved heavily into the 
training civilians on medical stuff because we don't have really have anyone up here doing that. Um, yes. We've already talked about TAC response, and you've been there, I've been there, and you know that the the mindset and methodology of tactical response is different than just about anywhere else. Yes. And um, it's not accepted in a lot of places in America, which is, you know, full of people that purport to be about the sort of tactical training. It's even less sort of acceptable up here for the, the Canadians who, you know, like to buy guns, have, get a bunch of this gear, and then do that same thing where they're like, I'm set. You know yeah. what? Doesn't matter. Red Dawn, good to go. I got a bunch of SKSs. Don't need to train. Training? Yeah, cool. We're going to go to the woods. We're going to, you know, shoot at some targets. I'm happy. Drink a few beers. So um, it's it's not like I can bring the tactical response mindset to Canadians. I've, I find people who either have it or don't. And that's and that's fine. That's It's narrow casting there. But teaching people, uh, especially like Canadian civilians, how to... Um, be ready to save other people rather than just stand there, be bystanders who, who only have one recourse and that's whip out a cell phone. Um, <laughs> that's, it's, a, it's a big deal. And, and there aren't a lot of places going much beyond the sort of stop the bleed program um, for civilians. Now, Tactical Emergency Casualty Care or TECC, which is what I teach, um, is readily available for law enforcement, EMS and security agencies but not a lot of regular people are getting it yet. Um, that's, that's set to change. And so looking at it this year, I thought, well, you know what? Like I've, I've sent, I don't know, between tens and $100,000 worth of medical equipment over to Ukraine. Not that I paid for, that that was purchased and that I you know helped funnel through. And um, it didn't help anybody here. Hmm. Right, not that not that people over there didn't need it, although there's there's conflicting reports about that entire conflict. Sure, but um, <laughs> you know, in in sort of looking inside and and, and conversations upstairs, it, it came to me that what I really need to do is make it so that the average person has the ability to access something where they can learn how to you know save their own life or someone else's in a Canadian way because we don't have guns. Uh, right. Uh, like we're not, you know, we ain't walking around strapped. We don't have no smoke wagons on our hips or, or whatever euphemisms you want to learn. So, you know, you are, you or me are more likely to respond to a car crash. Right. Um, or a motorcycle incident or uh, a boating accident or a chainsaw accident or some sort of something out in the out of doors because we have a low population density and lots of outdoor recreation activities that happen year round. And so I created a course that focused less less on gunshot wounds and how to deal with them, although that's in there, and more on what Canadians can expect from, statistically speaking. Right. So that brings us up to today. And, and yeah, I went, I went public uh, early this year with, uh, with Iridium Solutions. Um, it's the Iridium group on Instagram, but uh, everywhere else on the internet, it's Iridium Solutions, right? IridiumSolutions.ca. Um, because it it does many things. I still consult for the oil field. Um, I'm a I'm a licensed security professional. I, I still hold all of my uh, inspection tickets. Uh, and then you know now now we do. Oh, and, and I'm a uh, I'm a uh, provincially designated uh, firearms instructor. So I teach the uh, Canadian firearm safety courses. Um, so it's it's a handful. It's it's probably more than one person can handle. Uh, but there was only one way to make it 
a lot more public than I was. And that was to have the business and, you know, sell the things and, and, and teach the people. So that's one of the reasons we're talking. Um, John, I've known John in real life for a number of years, since 2017. I've, I've ran John's gear since 2012. There's a micro rig right there behind me. Yep. yep I, I bought, I've, I've had that thing for almost a decade now. Um, and, uh, and he was one of the ones that pushed me and said, you know, yeah, you do all this stuff behind the scenes, but you should probably monetize this and actually make yes. it your real thing. Right. And, and I'm, you, you know, I'm not the only one that has that story when it comes to John Willis <laughs> nope. and, and, and people, people will have their, uh, dissenting opinions, uh, about him and his character. And I'm fine with that. Uh, I had, I had one guy hit me up on Instagram chat in the dms you want this medical thing and that medical thing and i i suggested you know john's new ankle first aid kit might be a good choice he said well i don't like that guy i'm an asshole or he's an asshole and i said i have news for you he's my friend and i'm an asshole too yeah Without right him. um so like it's like it's like that um so not it's not that you know john funded me in business or anything he just said you know like as a friend you need to be doing this so that you can reach more people. And I agree. Yeah. So uh, here we are. Let's start with you're a Canadian. I'm a Canadian. And I, I get this question a ton because obviously I'm a prepper. I talk about prepping all the time. I talk about all of that. And I, I again, I liked how you talked about the, uh, you know, the most likely thing to happen. Now, people always ask, aren't you scared about talking about this shit online or with people? They're like, does it feel, yeah, what do you think about that? Does it put, because yes, we put ourselves out there a little bit, but, you know, and we live in a different country than most of our audience, right? What do you think? Are Fear you worried? Sin. Fear is yep. a sin. Yes. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have concerns. I have legitimate security concerns, and I comport myself such that those aren't compromised when I'm on the internet. Uh, you're like, my kids are not going to be running back here and you're not going to see their faces and so on and so forth. Um, and, and am I concerned about people thinking that I'm a, a prepper? Go look at my website, homie. I mean, people already think I'm a crazy prepper. The ones who want to are like, man, there's that dude is dressed up in a bunch of different things. He's got gas masks. He's got guns. He's got lasers. He's got thermal. He's got all this stuff. Crazy prepper. Yes. Well, okay. But you know, we all know the guy who's got that Canadian and then that other word beside him who spends all of his time on the internet telling us how the world is going to end tomorrow. And the well, worst yes, thing, well, I, yeah, we know who that guy is. You, you, you feel the same way I do. I understand. Yeah. I think everybody who's serious about preparedness and self-reliance feels that way. And it's, it's like the first video that I ever saw of his was cool. All right. That's, I mean, he does a good job. It's, it's very engaging. It's not what I'm about. I don't want people to be afraid. Fear and anger are the two emotional ways that you could be led around by the nose. The easiest. Right. If you are angry or you are scared or terrified, then whoever created that in you owns you. Yes. I, I say all the time that fear is an incredible short-term motivator. A lot of people incredible. come to prepping because of, Y2K, 2012, uh, nine, whatever it happened, doesn't matter, right? Everybody comes to that, but you can't stay there because it's going to wreck you. But like yep. you said, anybody out there who can 
you know, kind of pull the strings on you is is going to is going to get you. Like you said, when because you're out of control when you're when you're fearful or when you're angry, you just want to solve the problem, and you're like, take yep. my money, do whatever, right? Yep. They're they're look. They want either your money, which is an expression of your time, or they want your attention, which which is an expression of your time. And right. your time is finite, and it's it's the commodity you have that you bring to everything. And if you are just handing it away to somebody, it isn't being of value to you. It's not. It's probably not being of value to them, frankly. And so, um, in the in the in the preparedness space, if you're coming about it from an from a vector of fear, and and I add anger in there because, you know, on the sort of right side of the political spectrum, it's really easy to look over at the left and 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 some of the bullshit that they get after and be like, just look at it and just be. Doing, just be angry, just be mad. The truth is, chaos, capital C, chaos, doesn't care what side we fight on. It only cares that we fight each other. And yeah. the best thing that we can do to combat that isn't to fight chaos, it's to not fight each other. 100%. I, so, as a Canadian, we recently had a new law passed that, uh, yeah. you know, and of course, what do I get? I get, you know, four or five well-meaning Americans message me, oh, what are you going to do? You know, they're all, they're, they're more angry than I am. And am I angry? Sure. Whatever. You know? And then I was on live stream with John and Nicole, the other, I think it was John, or maybe it was John on Sunday night. Like, anyway, we were talking about it and you know, they want to know, is it true? I'm like, yeah, what can I do about it? I, I, you know, it doesn't, doesn't affect the temperature of my, you know, in my pool or my hot tub, right? Of your swimming pool. Yeah. 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 Circles, circles of influence, circles of concern. I teach the Canadian restricted firearms course. As of, sure as of right now, that's actually impacted a portion of my business because there's no point in me teaching that course to people who can't acquire handguns. Except that, <laughs> Gary Johnson, um, except that this is maybe temporary. And and I mean, let's let's think about this. I Everybody who's seen my online presence or met me in person knows that I'm about a handgun or a rifle or a shotgun. Yeah. I like them. I'm also about people being very dangerous without guns. Fair enough. Okay. So, so like in the end, uh, if if everything goes to shit and we don't have guns, if you were looking at the gun that you didn't have as a talisman to protect you, you never got any training. Right. And if you got if you got training that focused on you becoming dangerous and that and that's I don't mean dangerous as in a danger to people around you. Right. I mean, dangerous in the sense that you could affect the world around you for positive or ill. And you get to choose to not be a bad person. Yeah. And but that means that if you need to go kinetic or, or do tactical shit then you don't have a gun and you have a hammer and a fire extinguisher, what are you going to do? Are you just going to curl up in a corner? Hell no. Right. And that's mindset. And that's why mindset is more important than you. Training and no gun beats gun and no training. I have agreed with that statement since the first day James Yeager put it out. It's I teach the same thing. Like I, my, my my shtick is repairedness is what I call it. So home maintenance and help around the corner, you know, when, when help's not around yes. the corner. And I say that all the time. I say, uh, you know, skills beat supplies every day of the week. 
Because if you know how to do something, everything's a supply, right? Yep. You know, a bike tire can fix or a, a, a bike tube can fix a leaky pipe, right? Mm -hmm. You know, but but if you have all the supply, you got a whole shit ton of plumbing supplies. If you don't know what to do with them, you might be able to barter with them, you know? Mm -hmm. If you don't know what to do with them, statistically, you didn't need them. <laughs> sure, Be because then you're just like all the other preppers who went out. Well, and no, bought, yeah. yeah. What what you needed was somebody who knew how to use them. Right, and skills are free it, to a point. You know what I mean? Like th it's that's, time. It's yes. time. Good point. Yeah, and but go ahead. if your time, if you if you put your time into something where there's value, then it's time well spent. I will spend a lot of money to free up time for me. Mm. You know, things like mm -hmm. um, I outsource a, a fair bit of stuff to Fiverr. You ever use Fiverr? Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. And no, so it's uh, F-I-V-E-R-R. -R. And so yes. my logo that's up there at the top of the screen, that was built by a guy on Fiverr. Uh, you know, my, my channel intro, all of that, because I could do it and it would take me three days and it would be half as good as what this guy can do in 20 minutes. And I pay yep. him 50 bucks or whatever he's in, you know, overseas somewhere, but yep. I'm a huge fan of I'll spend money to free up time because that's, that's the lifestyle I teach here. You know, <laughs> yep. I, I built, I built every stick of that first website, the, of my current website. I'm sure all the words were all written by me. The photos were all taken by me and, and, and my guys over here, um, my friends there, I don't own them, but, um, <laughs> now, but, but we're, we're, we're splitting it apart because Iridium solutions that is sort of, People arrive there for one thing and then see a lot of different things. And, you know, we're just, we're going to funnelize it a little bit. So we're splitting it apart into a couple different websites. And um, I found, I found a, a person who understands the stuff on my website enough that he could build the sister websites to it. I had a hard time at the beginning getting the concepts across the web designers I had hired because they had no experience. They didn't understand. They thought, you know, they could just grab random photos off the internet for any of the things I was saying. Like, look, here's a photo of a dude with a gun. I'm like, that's got nothing to do with what I'm talking about. And you can't use that. Get it off my website, right? Like this, these things, there's a purpose to everything that's on there. And um, there's a purpose to what we're doing. So I found, I found that I, and I spent a month building that first website. Uh, sure. I, no, no shit. Like all of the month of December, I was, you know, in front of this computer and it sucked. I'm, I'm much happier, but, but like I had tried to outsource it, but the, the, the personnel that I hired, they didn't, they didn't get it. And due to the time and the crunch and all that, I couldn't, you know, change that up. What, it, what I've since changed that up. And, and now, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to trade some, some fiat currency or maybe some cryptocurrency, whatever we got to make this happen. And, and somebody who understands what I'm about um, and knows the sort of gateposts of where I operate and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable is going to build them and do a really great job. So I'm looking forward to that. That's cool. So you mentioned crypto. You're into crypto a little? I know enough to be dangerous. Okay. Dunning-Kruger effect. I'm yeah, like yeah. over here. Yeah. That's yeah. me too. I, so. uh, I'll, I'll put it this way. I think, I think if a person buys a little bit of Bitcoin now, that they are just hedging against 10 years from now, it being a dominant commodity. I don't know that it'll become a dominant currency. Okay. But even if it's a dominant commodity, it's worthwhile. It has value. And I've, I've lived through enough new things coming about and me not getting on the wagon that it's <laughs> time to hedge those bets. Not 
Not much. I'm. Uh, yeah. I like gold and silver. Like I mentioned, I grew I up with you know actually actually melting it down and rolling it out and and like my my transition into uh, industrial inspection and 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 professional metallurgy and and pressure vessels and and sort of all the steel based stuff that I've done. My knowledge about metallurgy came from knowing how to take a torch, a hammer, and a piece of gold and change its shape by melting it down, learning how the heat uh, went through it, how what I had to do to form it and shape it. And and so I'm, I have a particular fondness for gold um, in my heart. That's cool. I, I do too. I mean, well, obviously not from that same, but just with... Okay, when I first got into prepping, you know, everybody, oh, you need to have gold. You got to buy gold. Well, I was broke as a frigging joke. So, yeah, yeah uh, obviously gold wasn't an option, not even a gram of gold at that time. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as we built our business and got a little bit better off, I, I was introduced to the joys of silver because I always thought, you know, everybody always said, oh, gold's the way to go. And then, you know, Jack started, do you listen to the Survival Podcast? At all. I know I, I've not met Jack Spirico, but I know who he is, and I've 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 watched uh, his YouTube shows, and and obviously, you know, being friends with John, uh, it's hard to not hear about Jack and not you know see them do collabs. Well, I listened to him. I've been listening to him almost a decade now, and so he, okay. he he turned me on to a lot of this preparedness stuff. I, I I came to it as a prepper before, but yeah. So silver, anyway. So the, the missus and I got into silver because, you know it. It's a hedge against inflation, if nothing else. And uh, so, yeah, it was one of those things. And then you'd, oh, you'd find a little neat little trinket, you know, and uh, you'd pick that up and you'd buy some some ounces of silver. And then one day I finally went in and had a little money in my pocket and they had some one gram wafers of gold. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'm starting. So I've <laughs> been working toward my first ounce of gold this year, which has been a big thing. So, Okay, so, uh, and, and you're talking about physical gold. So you're not talking about investing in gold stocks you're talking about buying and holding oh yes physical every day of the week yeah i'm a big i'm a big fan of that i have i have some gold and some silver um that i keep on hand and it feels it feels good it's it it feels like the thing that uh, a person should do it does it it's something tangible too and i and of course jack a lot i'll bring i bring up a lot of things i learned from him over the years but i mean he he always said you know five to ten percent of your net wealth in precious metals you know there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, alex jones types out there that might tell you oh draw sell it all and put it you know whatever it is or you know maybe our canadian buddy or whatever but they'll tell you to you know buy all the gold you can and i don't know anyway that's where i'm at i, I like to have a little bit you know, do I think that I'm going to be Mad Max and use it as a post-apocalyptic currency? Well, I, I don't know, but I, I do like having it. It, like you said, it, it gives you a little bit of peace of mind. Well, there's uh, there are three other precious metals, and uh, they as as the world gets really squirrely, they they become more prevalent, and that of course would be copper, brass, and lead. Yes, I I was kind of hoping you were going that direction. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, those I, are those are those are good. I wouldn't hold stocks in those. I'd I'd prefer to hold you know crates of those and pallets. When you talked about uh, gold certificates or paper gold, mm. since you brought it up, why wouldn't a person want to invest in that? If you are a trader who's uh, working in markets, who makes their money based on you know the volatility of the markets, if that's what you do. Then there's no reason why not. Uh, gold, gold's volatile. Uh, gold moves. 
But the, the idea of holding a precious metal physically is, is about barter when the electronic digital fiat system collapses. And, um, you know, so, so if, if you're hedging against that emergency, then having gold stock is, you know, kind of a moot point. Wouldn't, wouldn't matter if you had stock in coffee or pork rinds or, you know, anything at that point, because if, if you can't get the electrons to connect to the other electrons that connect to the bank electrons that allow you to buy a subway, it, then there's no point, right? It doesn't matter. And at that point, you need to be able to go ahead and find something and like, I don't want to trade this mug for a bun. So why don't I trade, you know, some currency? No, that's true. I, and, you know, um, a lot of my American friends talk about how, how concerned they are about the digital dollar and things like that, since we were talking about cryptocurrency. And I think at least as a Canadian for about 20 years, we've pretty much had a digital dollar. We, you know, as far, you know, I, I mean, we obviously still have paper money here, but things have been a majority digital for a long time. I think everywhere. Yeah. And um, just because we've had it longer than, than them, um, I, I mean, this Canada is like, you know, we used to say it was, it was communist light or socialist light <coughs> excuse right? me and, and in the not too not too uh distant past yes. we said stuff like that right but um so it's it's not the same place it's it's very obviously not the same structure as america but i think a lot of places around the world are running a digital currency and obviously there's an impetus globally um to have something where time and 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 economic production can be valued by one single metric um and you know in the in the last 70 or 80 years or maybe 60 that's been the the us dollar and all things run their course like there's no permanence for anything anywhere and you know it, it, if i can bring it back around to talk when we were talking about even if we didn't have handguns and yeah. you know the world collapses and whatever and it's it's better to be dangerous with anything the same sort of applies to this this talk about you know globalism and 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 digital dollars and that it's it's like there's a point to preparedness where you get to continue what you consider to be normalcy mm. right you get to you get to just perpetuate normalcy for the people around you the people you care about anyways for as long as possible because of preparedness and so like as you go down a self-reliance journey i think there's a sort of natural evolution into going yeah globalism yeah whatever i don't care i'm just going to keep doing the things that i was doing yesterday right i'm going to do the things that i want to do tomorrow because i don't even play that game and i think that's probably the healthiest response you know, circling back to capital C chaos, doesn't care what side we fight for, just that we fight each other. Yeah. You know, the best thing to do is to is to not opt out of life, not opt out of dealing with people. It's to put yourself in a position to help the people you can see, smell, taste, touch, feel, and hear, the people around you. It's a real grassroots sort of concept. But when you're doing that, like I don't check the news to see how, Great. you know, fiat currency is, go is going. I, I don't care. And yeah, I know that our currency, our inflation rates are um, somewhat dramatic. <laughs> um, you, you know, you, you could even say ridiculous. 
I also know that the people who tend to do the best in situations like that are the ones who don't let it lead them around by the nooks. Yes. You've only got so much time and capacity for focusing on things in a given day. And if you, if you spend, if you know, half your brain energy is spent worrying about this in the background while you're going about your day, how could you possibly be productive? How could you spin up a side business? How could you network with other people? How could you do things that bring additional value to you or the people around you? You can't. And you could, you could say that that's almost by design if you wanted to be like, if, if we just keep those people running around to try to pay ends meet and so discombobulated that they can't ever branch out, do cool shit, do the shit they really want to do, grow businesses, um, interact and help others, find people with, you know, with ideological alignment and, 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 and create more unity. If we can keep them from doing that, then we could just make them hate each other, and just <laughs> yeah. pull these puppet strings, and then, you know, we own everything. And I'm... I see that, and I, I try to, I try to put out a message that is counter to that whenever possible. And and I understand, greetings. Um, I understand that like I sell gas masks and you know nuclear emergency preparedness stuff, and and that some people might think that the two can't coincide. I think they can. Absolutely, they can, man. I'm going to say it now, but uh, um, I, I really hope that uh, just because Canadian is in the title of this episode that my American brothers listen to this because we're, we'll have to have you back, Ed. You are my type of guy, dude. This is great because I, I like, yeah, I I cannot stand. I, I just, okay, for starters, I stopped voting a few years ago and you can, you know, I, I'm an anarchist, uh, uh, you know, an anarcho-capitalist and whatever, you know. So I really, really, really try not to spend any headspace on that kind of shit. So for the last almost six years now, my wife and I have been on the entrepreneurial journey building multiple businesses and we are in a really good spot. And when all the bullshit took place over the last two and a half years, didn't affect us a whole hell of a lot. You know, my wife runs a daycare, so there were some things that it did. Yep. My yep. didn't affect, did not affect me one bit. Yeah, you went you went through a lot of hand sanitizer and had to suddenly find ten thousand and ninety five masks, I presume. Correct. Figure out how to make that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you a funny story afterwards. Off uh, yeah. when we're done here. <laughs> I just want to shout out to my uh, buddy from New Jersey. Just sent me a care package in the mail. We uh, we both met at Tactical Response and then hung out at Self Reliance Festival afterwards. So another so, alumni, right yes. on. And uh, here's uh, another brother of mine from Alberta, Chris Dixon. Okay. He is also a metal worker, and he's been up here and hung out with me. So, very cool. Let's slide back to your uh, first aid, Ed, because I, for me, one of the things I've been looking for for a while has been something above and beyond just the St. John Ambulance or the Red Cross. You know, every two years, learn how to run a defibrillator. You know what I mean? Sure, I, I sure. want some balls to the wall, practical kind of first aid. And sounds like maybe you offer that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy for that. Um, now let's, there's, there's sort of two branches. So your, your traditional standard first aid um, is still really important. Uh, the, the, what, what trauma medicine is about is the first three minutes, the first five minutes and the first 10 minutes after an injury, after a traumatic injury, right? Um, the, 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 the trauma medicine paradigm doesn't really address 
uh, heart attack or cardiac arrest, but it's really well covered in our standard first aid courses, right? So, so the Red Cross has got that covered, and I think I think that's still really valuable. Also, in your in your standard first aid, you learn how to do a, a, a tin chilt, a tin chin tilt jaw thrust, right, to open and open an airway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you and you learn how to roll someone over into the recovery position so they can, you know, vomit or sleep without their tongue uh, slipping back and suffocating. These are these are really important skills. And we do those skills in in uh, in civilian trauma medicine as well. The the what what we cover is massive bleeding. So uh, hmm. you have you have either an amputation or uh, a cut or damage to, to a point where you have an arterial bleed. Okay. And the reason that's of primary concern is if you if you do have an open artery, uh, the average adult can bleed out in under a minute and a half. It's crazy. And and by bleed out, what I mean is you can lose forty percent of your body's blood volume. Okay, you can and and it could be it could be three minutes too. Um, it the statistics. Uh, aren't set because it depends on the injury. It depends. You could have a little nick to the artery. You could have, you know, a bunch of arterial bleeds in a bunch of places. The what it is is if you lose forty percent of your body's blood volume, you go into what's known as stage four shock. And in that stage four shock, your organs start to shut down. And even if we get you to a hospital really quickly, and uh, otherwise, yep, it is fast. And otherwise. Uh, resuscitate you, uh, there's a high statistical probability that um, a few weeks down the road, you'll die because your organs couldn't be brought back. Because when really? they when they just, when the body's like, hey, we're done, just boop, 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 start shutting down organs. That's not a process that can really be reversed um, in, huh. in sort of your know, standard hospital care. There's obviously... All these things, there's a little it depends factor, but sure. um, the the reason the reason that we focus on massive bleeding first is because it is the best way to save somebody from the thing that'll kill them the fastest. What what mindset thing that I teach in my course is uh, we have to address what's killing my casualty now and work <laughs> to fix it, right? Because if 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 they've got a great big head wound and there's blood gushing out of it. And they've got a broken leg and their leg is, you know, sort of sideways and they're, and they're all mangled and, you know, their left arm is crushed under something and their, you know, in their right arm, there's an arterial bleed and it's squirting out. If we do anything other than deal with that, and by that, I mean tourniquet high and tight um, to stop the arterial bleed. If we address any of the other stuff first or, and miss this, then that person has a high likelihood of expiring. So we have to find the thing that's going to kill them now and fix that first. And then after that, circle back around to the next thing that's going to kill them. And so, you, oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to. How do you? Okay. How do I know it's arterial bleeding? If it is spurting. Okay. Okay. So, so one quick way to recognize it is if it is pumping out, and and if it's pumping out, what's happening is every time the heart pumps, like beats a beat, blood comes out of them. So then you know it's arterial bleeding. If there's no more blood spurting out and it's just leaking out, then you start looking at how much blood is around it. And okay. if you if you walk up to that and go, oh, that is a lot of blood, then you are safest to assume that it is massive hemorrhage until you've proven otherwise. And and you can spend a minute um, doing a full body, you know, sort of search and, and really carefully searching to determine what that injury is. 
or you can treat it as if it's massive bleeding, but then circle right around, figure out exactly what it was and whether or not you needed to put a tourniquet on. Okay, Chuck knows. Chuck's been Chuck's been a paramedic for a very long time, and Chuck's Chuck teaches this stuff too. Said uh, patient assessment is the absolute key to success. Yep. Uh, and uh, Smart Ad Twenty Ten is asking uh, onboard tourniquet. I, I'm wondering if, if do you have an EDC tourniquet that you prefer. Ah, <laughs> that's the man. I'm not even wearing my knife. I feel naked. So look at that. Cat Gen Seven. Good. What was it? Sorry. So this is North American Rescue uh, Cat Generation Seven. Okay. Don't buy it if it's ten dollars. In Canada, it should be about forty-three dollars, forty-four right now. Okay. In America, it should be somewhere around thirty. If it's less, it's a fake. I've done videos uh, breaking them on camera. The the nine dollar or ten dollar fakes. Uh, it ain't worth it. Um, I and and it's sad that I have to like you know say this is the one to get and don't buy a fake. But they're out there. And then. Um, because I'm me, I carry two tourniquets, and in this in this <laughs> ankle eye back, there's a soft key uh wide. And yes, it's blue, and blue is generally a training color, but I don't care a tourniquet's a tourniquet. So a couple of the of the uh of the recommended ones are the the cat gen seven and the uh the soft key. Okay, so <laughs> these are if, if you're if you're looking for two good ones, yeah, those those are them. And um, uh oh yeah, go ahead. No. Just going to uh, Chuck also said with the decline of healthcare in the states, with the continuing shortage of healthcare workers, modern healthcare will not be as readily available per the past. He said, "Go train, train with Ed, or train with me." Right, and um, so we we were talking about training being the key. So skills. Uh, what did you say about uh, about skills? Yeah, for me, skills uh, supersede supplies every day of the week. So uh, when I train, when I when I teach my class. Um, and if, if you go look at the sort of tactical medicine, anything, anything in the tactical medicine sphere, all the tactical medical uh, equipment, and you know, there's a there's a compact chest seal here, and there's one is yeah, we've got one of these fancy compressed gauzes. I I teach people what these things are, and then I teach you how to use the hospital versions of them, so ACE bandages and non-compressed gauze, and just regular shit because the truth is the other supply chain that is completely messed up right now is the old tactical medicine supply chain because it's all being sent over for conflicts oh sure and so it wouldn't do me any good to teach you all the t triple c you know cool super awesome pressure bandages if you can't get them right I, so I'm, I'm teaching people to use the same things that are on board the ambulance or in the hospital and it's it's you know i've i've trained with some special forces dudes in places and the old time special forces dudes were using plain curlix gauze and ace bandages right and 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 they were using they were using good tourniquets when as as soon as they had them um but i don't only want to push that you've got to have this high-end tactical medical equipment what you need to have is a mindset to help and the knowledge of what to do, you know, for, for massive hemorrhage in the first sort of three minutes, uh, how to deal with their airway to make sure that they stay breathing within the first four minutes. And then if there's any holes in their chest area, how to deal with an open or tension pneumothorax within the, the, the first 10 minutes. And also um, how to make a good 911 call. Because frankly, huh. I bet almost nobody on this live stream or who's going to watch in the future ever 
practices making a 911 call. Now, if you go to attack response, that's part of the deal. Um, I know that. But uh, unless you train it, you probably don't know how. And I mean, we've all got cell phones around, and it's not like you can just randomly say, hey, Siri, dial. And I'm not going to say it just in case you have voice activation on your <laughs> phone. But, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, that's a skill set that you can practice so that in the most stressful time of your or somebody else's life, you can make an effective 911 call. And an effective 911 call is a really important piece of the puzzle because one, it brings the right help to the right place, right? If you if your 911 call is just you screaming about something being wrong and you needed uh, a fire engine to show up to get the jaws of life to extricate someone from a vehicle, but you, what you get is the police because you just were talking about how there was a car crash and a fight and all this stuff, then it's going to be another four to six minutes before we can get this person out. That's one. Two, you've been, we've got, we've got TAC response alumni here who will understand about the three fights and anyone who's done any training, right? So in any sort of fight and gunfights or medical intervention or anything, there's three fights. There's the physical fight. Yep. Right? That's, that's how you deal with the scenario or the situation. After that, there's the mental fight. That's how you process the trauma or the traumatic situation you had to go through and come out the other end. And the third fight is the legal fight. Right. And even though all the things that I teach are within the Good Samaritan doctrine or Good Samaritan law, depending where you're at, so they're all covered by that, that doesn't mean you're not going to get sued for trying to help somebody. It's, <laughs> it's not uncommon. And because we're, we're talking about a 911 phone call right now, your calm, collected, effective 911 phone call is guaranteed to be a piece of evidence at your court case, no matter what kind of uh, fight, no matter what kind of anything that you were into where there had to be a 911 phone call made and where eventually you get sued. And so teaching the average civilian who wants to help but is scared of taking that first step, just starting, running over there and seeing what they can do, how to to do that 911 piece, to give them that piece of that puzzle. If people only walk away knowing how to make a good 911 call to get the right help to the right place at the right time, then frankly, my course is worth it. But, you know, I'm also going to teach all the other stuff. So it's really worth it. So um, can you give us a quick example of what a proper 911 call would be? Yeah. What's the scenario? You. Give me, give me a scenario. Yep. So I'm driving down the, I was going to say interstate, Trans-Canada, and I come across a vehicle flipped over, and there's somebody halfway in, halfway out, and they look like they're quite bloody. Okay. And they're, and they're, they look like they're what? Uh, bloody, you know, bloodied up glass, you know. All right. So, so you've, you've got some training, you, you go over there, and the first thing you're going to do is make sure that that scene is safe for you. So the first thing you're going to do is make sure that car is not about to explode. Right? Not about to get on fire while you're getting over there to try to help them. That's the first thing you need to do. Second thing you need to do is see if that's the type of bleeding that needs an immediate intervention, as in they're going to die if you don't put a tourniquet on. If it's not arterial bleeding, you have some time to do some things. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to try to find a way to get them out of that vehicle. Hmm. Why out of that vehicle? Get Move them off the X. You've heard that term, move off the X, okay? <laughs> if, right, yes, you have. Uh, in any trauma situation, trauma, by definition, your casualty is going to need to be moved, right? Sure. You have to move them away from there 
because someone just got hurt there. It's dangerous, right? It was dangerous at one time. It might be dangerous again. So let's move them somewhere safe. On a highway, on the side of the road, a bloody vehicle. Yeah, I'd want to get them somewhere away from the other uh, passengers and traffic coming by. Short side note, I responded to a vehicle crash in the middle of the mountains in the middle of the night, in the middle of winter one time, uh, on a corner. And uh, we were there helping. And it was only because my truck was parked out far enough into the road that when the uh, the Super B tanker came around with molten oh. sulfur and slammed on his brakes and jackknife because he was on the ice, um, it's only because his rear trailer hit my truck that it arrested his movement and it didn't run us all over. Wow. And this happened This happened within seconds of me looking and trying to assess the scene that that, that all happened. And so, like, there's there's real-life reasons why you want to move them away uh, as quick as possible. So now we've just done the lead-up to the scene. And the reason I did all that is because if you just get on your phone and dial 911 right away, you may not have all the information you need to give them. Now, there's a there's a case to be stated for, like, Quickly grabbing 911 and, and just starting to talk and walk, right? Going over there and being like, hey, listen, I'm here. Okay, this is who I am. Um, there's a vehicle flipped over. I'm definitely going to need an ambulance and maybe uh, a fire engine. And I'm going to go and, and start assessing the scene. If you're going to do that, you want to have your phone on speakerphone. You want to be able to place it somewhere where you can work and then move away. But then as you're dragging them out of the car, you need to take your phone with you if you want to keep... Um, you know, communicating what you're doing while you're doing it. If you did all these steps first and then move them away and then start working on them, making sure that you're getting them through this sort of trauma scenario, that's a great time to pull out your phone, get it on speakerphone, make sure that it uh, connects. But I mean, as soon as a 911 call connects, okay, it's on. You can't turn it off. You can't end a 911 call. And so at that point, uh, a good 911 call sounds like, Hi, my name is Tim. I'm at this place. I'm responding to a vehicle accident. Okay. Um, I have medical training. I've assessed the casualty. We're, there's just one uh, for arterial bleeding. And let's say I applied a tourniquet to the high and tight to the left arm. Okay. As far as I know, the bleeding stopped and I'm starting uh, a patient assessment. I'm going to need an ambulance. We've moved them away from the vehicle. Okay. Uh, we're, you know, we're between the two lanes. Uh, the vehicle is a, you know, blue minivan, you know, you'll see it, it's on its side. Um, you know, people are stopping, there's a crowd gathering. I don't have any assistance. How long will it take for you to get uh, the ambulance here? Oh, okay. That last part I never thought about. So, and remember, as you're working, you keep talking. People, people make a big deal about, oh, you, you didn't write the time on the tourniquet. Well, me, if I've got a phone call going into a 911 <laughs> call center, guess what? They're recording the time. Uh-huh. Right? I mean, I, I put a tourniquet on 30 seconds ago. Okay, cool. We've got you know, we've got that on UTC minus 30 seconds. Easy day. So we don't need to worry about that. There's the the least number of, of, of sort of extraneous technicalities that we can worry about in those first couple minutes, uh, the best. Because probably what's gonna happen when Chuck or a person like him shows up, is they're going to look at what you did. You know, you, you put a tourniquet on, you pack their room. They're going to say, hey, you know, great job, hero. That's awesome. And then they're going to take their, their shears. They're going to cut off everything that you did, and they're going to do it properly. Sure. Or they're going to do it again because it's, it's what they do. So um, what's our goal? To keep them alive, to get them to the next level of care. That's the goal. That's it. 
That's what trauma medicine from a civilian standpoint is about. And getting them to uh, a medical evacuation. Uh, so that's a medical vehicle that, that takes them to a hospital. That's our goal. Keep them alive until we can get them there first step to the ambulance and it's not that much different than what an ambulance does except that the ambulance is taking them to a medical care facility but they're you know their their job is to keep them alive until they get to the hospital yes and the hospital's job is to keep them alive until they can walk out of the hospital that's right <laughs> very good yeah yeah it's it's the same step over and over just in different time frames and so there's different things that you worry about it's so funny how so much when teaching is done properly. So you talk about medical. TAC response talks about self-defense, winning the fight. Gunfights. Gunfights. I talk about home maintenance. But every bit of it has the same damn principles. You know, make it as simple, repeatable, and as stress-free as possible so that you can do it when all hell's breaking loose around you. Yep. You're already going to be under duress by definition when it happens. You're, you're, the stress the scenario will build the stress for you. You don't need to add any more stress to yourself. And you don't rise to the occasion. <laughs> default to the highest level of training you've mastered under stress. That I, I want to say, I believe I heard that for the first time at Tactical Response. It may not have been, but I think so. And that, okay. So over the last couple of years, I've had a lot of uh, veterans, you know, ex-service guys on the show. And, you know, and I always love to tell the story of Greg. Uh, I don't know if you know um, Greg. Um, he's for, He runs the Apocalypse Preparedness School out of Edmonton. Anyway, he, uh, Greg Norecki, real cool dude. And uh, anyway, so he come on and he used to go into minefields all the time. And, uh, you know, he, he went to Bosnia to, you know, yeah. And I, like, I always would ask the guy, I'm like, how... <laughs> How could you do it? I, I think I would be beside myself, you know, and for him, it it was nothing, you know, that was just what he did. He was trained to do it. He enjoyed it. He got, you know, he kind of got the, the kick out of it, you know, but public speaking for him, he said was, you know, kind of scared him a little bit shitless, right? Whereas I don't mind that so much, but so it seems to have been for whatever reason, the last year and a half, one of my journeys has been to know how to do things under stress because in the modern Canadian life, unless you expose yourself intentionally to stressful things, you can be 41 years old and maybe not have done all of that, right? Pretty, pretty damn comfortable lives we can live up here. Yes, very much so. Yes. High, high levels of comfort. Yes. And comfort breeds complacency. And Comfort breeds complacency and complacency is death. Yes. But we don't... So, of course, I can't walk into a minefield because, I mean, I suppose I could, but it wouldn't be very, you know, it would be hard to find no, around here. It's not a great idea. No. Generally speaking. That's what like, they say. I, I, I would avoid that one. But what I have learned, and I'm starting to internalize, and I appreciate you bringing it up, is the fact that we don't rise to the occasion. We drop to our highest level of training. So that means that there is something to be said for proper training in responding to stressful situations because that's about all you can do right yes um um so the the more the more you expose yourself to stressful situations the probably the biggest benefit is the ability to keep a cool clear head and yeah. and, and and that 
in and of itself is a bit of a cliche, but what the ability to keep a cool, clear head looks like in the moment is the ability to, instead of focusing, hyper-focusing on this thing, whatever the stressful situation is, the ability to take a step back, take that second, look around, right? Like you can actually take a breath, look around. Yes. And make a plan. And the ability to just step a little bit and see what's going on um, will dramatically change your response to a stressful situation. And stress inoculation, whether it gives you that, that grants you that ability or not, it certainly enhances it in almost anybody who goes through that. And it's not going to hurt. I when I I did four days at Tac Response. I did um, you know fight fighting pistol and fighting rifle back to back. And one of the things they teach you is proper evacuation. But when you know, so if you're if you're leaving a fight, you want to be looking around as you're leaving. And you know, the first few times I do it, my head goes like this, but I don't see anything. You know, I, I'm too busy moving my head around. But all of a sudden, after a bit, they're like, of course, they have their colorful language to use to explain to you why you should do it properly. And all of a sudden, I'm like, fuck, I'm actually seeing things. And I know that might sound stupid to some people, but that, that's a big step. It, it sounds dumb to people who don't train under stress. Right, right. If, like, like if you're hearing what he just said, you on the internet, and you're like, that's retarded. You, have, you, don't, you don't have training. And right. I, don't mean that, I don't mean that in a mean way. No. I'm I, I apologize on behalf of my people. Um, <laughs> Sorry, guys. I, I, Sorry. I, I'm not shitting on you. But what that means is that you've never had it where if you didn't turn around and look, someone was liable to hit you in the head with a baseball bat. Or when you did what you consider to be training, it wasn't real enough to you to think that, hey, I'm doing this gunfight training and shitheads tend to attack in pairs or trios. They're like jackals. They come in teams. And one of them will go in front to get your attention. And then bad boy number two and three, where do you think they're coming from? They're not coming from in front of you. If, if that's not real for you, then what he's talking about, you know, might sound silly. But as soon as that becomes real, however that comes across, you don't know what you don't know. Gary Johnson. Uh, as, soon as, as soon as that becomes real for you, then, you know, Gun up, looking all the way around and really looking like, hey, where am I going? Is there anybody back there? Do I have someone that I have to tell, like, listen, run back to that white car. We're going to group up there. If you just did this and this, you'd have no clue. You wouldn't be able to effectively communicate anything. All you were doing was range masturbation, if you'll excuse my colorful terms. Oh, you, right? hey, and there's, and it's there's all free a here. lot so of that out there. Right? Yes, there is. And yeah. And that was, again, that was the thing. I went, Here's the other thing. I went to tactical response thinking I was going to learn how to shoot. Well, that, that boy, I, you couldn't be any fucking wronger, wronger. Oh my God. Is that the right word? Anyway, it doesn't matter. I couldn't be any more wrong than that right there. They taught you how to win a fight and how to survive a fight. And everybody and asked, what did you it's think? It's a dramatic divergence from how to shoot. Yes. And it's a dramatic divergence from almost, well, I wouldn't say almost, but the typical firearms training that most people supply. Yep, because when you go to a, to a typical firearms place, you're either learning how to do what the military does or you're learning how to competitively shoot. That's, those are your two yeah. sort of standard metrics. Um, winning a gunfight while not being a great shot is not a very popular concept. 
But if you look at statistically civilians who win gunfights, statistically speaking, they aren't always great shots. They, they can't pull off the competition thing. They don't do that. They just have the right mindset, had the unlock codes all come off and said, I have to do this or someone I care about or someone you know, who shouldn't die is going to die and I have to do this. And that's a different mindset. What is it? Seven, seven yards or seven meters? Well, seven yards anyway is the average. Seven yards, 21 yeah. feet. Now, here's the thing. You could put a gun in almost anyone's hand who has almost no training whatsoever, and you could probably put a few shots on target at seven yards, especially if you were, I mean, maybe fearing for your life a little bit. But yeah, it, that's what that was the first thing that blew my mind was, oh, yeah, they're not going to teach me how to, to shoot tight groups, even though that's part of it. But they're going to teach you how to draw proper. They're going to teach you how to evade. They're going to teach you how to win the fucking fight. It was, yeah. I. What's what's more important, shooting the bad guy or not getting shot? No. <laughs> There's a oh, couple hold people. Hold on, hold on, hold on. In the chat. What's yes. more important, Anybody shooting the bad guy or not getting shot? We'll give them a minute. Uh, they're still, I'm sure they're still, well, we got, well, we got a dozen people in here and there's some people over. There's, on there's a right bunch now. of, there's a bunch of alumni in this chat. I, I know what's, I know what <laughs> answer is going to come populate here. Oh yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, yeah. Go ahead. It's, it's, there we are. Gary Johnson. He wins. So, so if you win your fight without putting a tight group into somebody's chest, did you still win the fight? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because you won the fight. Yeah. If winning that fight looks like you didn't have to shoot somebody and live with that and spend all the lawyer fees and all that bullshit, did you win that fight? Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think you won the fight. I, I, I was. I think you, you won, won a bunch of more. fights. Yeah, because what there, there's um a guy on TikTok once in a while I'll watch. He does uh, self defense, and they the guy he said uh, I forget what it was. He was like, "What's the simplest way to get out of a headlock?" And he's like, "Run the hell away." <laughs> Don't, don't be in that headlock. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Leave. Like, and, and that's the thing is, is a lot of this tactical training doesn't in, involve the civilian. Yeah. Move your fucking feet. The, the, the tactical training is like, oh, as we advance to the enemy and, you know, contact front and, and, and reduce the threat. It's like, as a civilian, I have the option to just leave. Yeah. And, and, and for anyone here who hasn't had force on force training. Okay. Force on force training will teach you that in a hurry. Yeah. Now, for, for all Canadians uh, who, who are listening, and, and lots of Americans and, and lots of people around the world, you don't really have the legal option to shoot them. No, we okay? we, we certainly don't. You Yeah, you, you don't. It's not, oh, this, the self-defense this, and there's this little legal... No. No, it's not going to go your way. So, like... Only do that if you're willing to spend 10, 20, 30 years in prison and not see your family. Now, after you think about that, you won't see your kids for 30 years. You won't be at their prom. You won't be at their wedding. You won't do shit. Take your fantasy about how you're going to, you know, shoot bad guys in the face and inject that. And then ask yourself, do I need to be in this situation? Could I just leave? And I, and I only say, again, I'm not trying to shit on anybody. What I'm trying to do is illustrate that there's options available to you that aren't just, you know, shoot, 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 shoot. We see videos on the internet of police officers who go to their gun, like right away, they're like, go now. And, and it's, it's 
the tactical community loves to criticize them. Like, well, that police officer didn't have any other tools because of their poor training. Don't be like them. Right. 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 Training and no gun beats gun and no training because Absolutely. the training gives you the situational awareness, gives you options. And that's why it's so important. And that and that's in a in a tactical context uh, context. That's in a medical context. That's in a preparedness context. Yes. Okay? Like like and 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 going to experts to learn how to do things, bringing in experts to teach you things to give you that fast track so that you can do more things gives you more options. Doesn't matter what the situation is. Gary Johnson says. Um, Everyone always assumes they're going to win the gunfight and be slapped on the back as a hero. I, I would suggest, and I could be wrong about this, but unless it's a very specific state in the U.S., you're still going to be at least questioned after a shooting and possibly, I wouldn't necessarily say arrested, but you're going to, you're going to ha at least have some legal questions you have to answer. I'd say this. Murphy's Law uh, guarantees that you're going to get the emergency that you didn't prepare for. That's what mm. Murphy's Law is about. So, you know, um, even even saying like, there's a, there are states where you can do this and it's fine. Yeah, but Murphy's Law dictates that you're going to be the one guy that it wasn't fine for. Right. There's going to be something there that's going to, whatever it happens to be, that they're going to say, huh, I think we got to look at this a little bit deeper. Every, every time I go and spend, you know, a week down in Camden, uh, down in Tennessee, I, I walk around with a pistol on uh, 24 seven because it's, because it's part of the culture. And, you know, it's obviously I can't do that here. Um, and too. right. But, but like everybody is walking around with a gun yes. and the, my, my personal uh, observation and experience is that people are more polite. I knew you were going to say that. Yes. People act more like what the world thinks Canadians are. Erroneously. Canadians are not this super... That's, that's just some bullshit propaganda. Sorry, yeah. rest of the world. Um, <laughs> although I did just apologize there. But, <laughs> but, but, like, but like Americans who are trained... <laughs> I knew you'd appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Um, Americans uh, who are trained in how to use firearms and have had the sort of the, the weight of the responsibility of what that means straight on their shoulders tend to be upstanding members of society. The um, day two of tactical pistol. Fighting mm. pistol. Yeah, and, I know. Yeah. Yep. And James, it, oh, I, I got, I couldn't believe I, when they said we had like a, I don't know, it was a three or four, I forget what it is, but anyway, you sit down for the video and, and it's James and you know, it's anyway. And he, he talks about when you carry, you take on a burden of responsibility that means you can't go to stupid places with stupid people and do stupid things. You can't fight somebody simply because they piss you off because you have a higher level of responsibility. And I think that goes to anyone, not just someone who chooses to carry. I agree. Because like you said, the fight that you win is the fight you didn't have to fight, right? We got if a few things 100% of the fights that you don't get into. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's a paraphrase of uh, Wayne Gretzky, isn't it? Yeah. Well, if it is, I'm going to give him full credit because yeah. I'm, I'm certain I didn't come up with that on the spot. 
I think he, he always said you uh, miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So yes, that's yeah. true. And if you're an office fan, uh, did you ever watch the office, the TV show? Um, Michael so, Scott used to take credit for that. Yeah, so, yeah. Yes. Um, a, a little bit. We, I haven't owned a TV in 20 years. Um, right. tele, tele, television is one of those things that will eat your time and your motivation and your desire to do just about anything. This thing too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the other one. New TV. And it's hard to, I mean, as a, I don't know if you struggle with, maybe you don't, but as a content creator, I, I am on my phone a lot, whether it's responding to emails or chatting with the telegram group or uploading my content, but it can be a really quick slide into oh, just watch a couple of videos on TikTok and then heaven help us all. I struggle. Um, like I put up, I put up, I think I put up two posts this morning and they're just, they're just a photo, which was previously, you know, uh, I had already preloaded on my phone and, and writing some words and then, you know, doing the, doing the Instagram post and then the thing to the story. Each one of those posts, for some reason, took me 45 minutes for just a few little words. So, yeah, yeah, like it for every one of those posts, I've, I've probably got an hour of my day in and, you know, hope, hopefully that, that there's value that could be found in them. That that means it's worthwhile. And I, th I think there is or I, or I wouldn't be doing it. Um, but uh, you're. you're you have you have a you have the telegram and you have like other stuff on the on the internet going on. I don't have that so much. I mean, I've got I've got you know my my signal chat with my alumni friends, which they they can attest I'm not that big of a part of because I'm always flittering about from doing this thing to this thing and then in transit and where I'm at in northern BC, oh, we still have large areas where there's no cell service, like. There's or or the reception is three G right and it's not five or <laughs> yep. four G like like I still I still it's really easy for me to to experience going somewhere where the cell phone doesn't work that's normal for me and a lot of the people that I'm interacting with on the internet that's not normal right and so people will be like hey why weren't you immediately available to to answer this thing I like I was driving and like after four or five of those they're like all right we're just not going to include you anymore because you never show up until three hours later like Roger that that's cool. You know, I don't mind, but it's just part of the deal. And um, I've, have I mentioned the the low population density and the forests and the mountains and the moose? Like, it's nice up here. There's nothing wrong with it. I miss trees. I definitely. I mean, we we have a couple here in Alberta, but not very many. It is it is it is illegal to cut down a tree for firewood in your province. In many places in your province. Yeah, I so now, I. Found out recently that each and every elm tree in my town is insured for fifty thousand dollars. Think about that, folks. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like two hundred ninety-five American dollars. That's true. Free freedom units, as I like to call them. So. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and so like, um, and, and people would find that crazy. Like, you can't cut down trees in Alberta. Yeah, it's pretty weird. But they don't have a lot of. Like, to be fair, you don't have a lot of. No, and the trees and the the trees you do have are are you know sort of up in the northern boreal forest, and they're not great big trees. They're alders and other stuff like that, and you know they're they're old. They look like they you know been poisoned by the by the tundra and the muskeg. And, you know they have a hard enough life. Like we don't need to cut them down for firewood. They don't burn that well, anyways. So true. Yeah, we. I used to go up to. Have you ever been to Bonnie um, Bonnieville or Wab Wabasca? Yeah, pipeliner. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I worked as a, I worked on a co-rod rig for two years when I first came yep. out here. And uh, I, I enjoyed it. Hard work. I, I actually learned, I think that's where I found my work ethic, which is crazy. But anyway, I mean, I always did a lot of shit, but I really, you know, anyway. So I, I yeah, it was great. But uh, yeah, we, we used to go up there and play around in the woods quite often. Well, we have been an hour and 15 minutes. I, I, yeah, this was great, Ed. I really appreciate it. I, number one, I would love to have you back sometime. This was great. How do people find you? If you want to follow what we're doing, the content we're creating, um, then Instagram is the place. I'm uh, at the Iridium Group. Um, I have a YouTube channel as well. It's the Iridium Group. And, uh, and that's, so that's where you would go to sort of see the content that we're posting and get updates to, you know, what new things we have. If, if you want the training, uh, if, if you want to sign up for training or, or like browse the web store, it's, uh, iridiumsolutions.ca, iridium, like the element, I-R-I-D-I-U-M, um, solutions.ca, you know, like, I guess like the satellites, uh, I, I chose that because uh, Iridium-192 was the radioactive isotope that uh, I moved around this country um, the most frequently inside sealed source containers and dealt with, you know, radiation emergencies with and, 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 and you know, taught people how to deal with it when they come across it. So that's why Iridium. Um, that's, those are the best places to find me. Um, if you call me and leave me a voicemail, it, you probably will not get it returned. So if you want to get a hold of me, the best thing you can do is email info at iridiumsolutions.ca. The man from New Jersey, thank you for your wealth in knowledge. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Um, thanks for coming on and listening to a couple of Canucks ramble for over an hour. You know, I put your uh, email address in the comments there. So cool. Be, awesome. Yeah. No, yeah. that was great. This, yeah. Uh, Chuck says, thanks, Ed and Tim, for the great live stream. Ed is the man for training. I want to take training from him. He knows his shit I want, I want to train with Chuck. So, um, yeah, I think I think at some point we have to make that happen. Up the, the, the Appalachian Mountains sound like a pretty cool place to go and check out. I hear that there's lots of alcohol out there. Um, oh, I went to Prepper Camp in uh, North Carolina, which is the Smoky Mountains. And... Okay. I was availed of some uh, apple pie moonshine, which was to die for. Are you a bourbon guy by chance? Scotch. Scotch. Oh, I have a bottle of, I want to say, I think it's 17-year-old scotch over there. So, Made um, by who? Uh, Glenn. Oh, crap. My wife bought it for me. I'm not a scotch guy. I'm a bourbon guy. Glenn. Okay. Glenn yeah, yeah. Anyway. So. It's, it's either Fiddick or leave it. Oh, that's it. Leave it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Um, yeah, no, I bourbon's too sweet for me. Fair enough. I get and and uh, scotch is a little too bitter for me. So <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I like I like my coffee black and my scotch strong, and you know <laughs> that's cool. Anything to add to that? That's all right. Well, thanks, Ed. This was fun. I yeah, we like I said, love to have you back again. I know you work some crazy hours and some different times, but. Uh, yeah, if you're up for it, come on back, man. I'm absolutely up for it. Let's do it. and 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 maybe we will uh, we will spend a bit more time talking about actual preparedness uh, and and I mean we didn't get to do a lot of the other half of this interview where I wanted to ask you about uh, a lot of the stuff about your workshop and so we have 
I think we have more conversations to be had. So for anybody still listening at this point, honestly, this was just an excuse for me to get Ed on here so we could talk because I didn't think we'd make time to sit down and talk. And I knew the conversation would be worth sharing. So <laughs> good times. Right. Well, thanks everybody else for, for uh, showing up and for the good comments and uh, yeah, let's end this. Perfect. If you want to, you want to hang for a second in the background and I'll uh, close this up here. Give me one sec. Well, guys, I hope you absolutely enjoyed that. I had been looking forward to it. I had to reschedule once on Ed, and he lived up to absolutely everybody's high expectations. He was uh, recommended to me from many people that I definitely respect their opinion. So, guys, thanks for dropping in. As always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week.